we were here for almost eight years uh, as Second Paul. Uh, there's First Paul and then Second Paul, and now you have First and Second Mark, I guess. So, but uh, then we've been here as congregants uh, since since we left. So that's been another 11 years or so. Um, although we go to the early service, and then there's many weeks that I'm gone, so then it makes it so I don't get here as frequently as I like to, but it's always a joy to be at home, and it's always a joy to be able to bring a message from God's Word to you as well. Uh, before I preach this morning, I want to share a little bit of an update about the college, and so uh, some of the highlights of this last year. Uh, this last summer was probably our, uh, from all our records anyway, was our highest uh, in history for summer rentals, so that helps us survive to have events May, June, July, and August, and uh, so that was really helpful for us. In fact, this year we're even higher than last year by several groups. Uh, I think we're pretty much packed, solid, July and August, and then we have uh, three events in June and some weddings and, and so on as well. So we're, we're filling those things up, and it's exciting as that's happening for us. Um, last year at the FCA family camp, we actually had 230 pre-registered for that camp. So that's the highest we've had in about 10 years. And what a wonderful time we had. We've got people coming now that are regular and committed. And so we get a 20 Filipinos from Calgary or this group from here or that group from there. It's an awesome time uh, of worship and preaching and God's word. So uh, we'll, I'll put the dates up a little bit later here. Also, thanks to a generous donation and the help of skilled labor, uh, we were able to install a really nice playground this last year. In fact, some of that was from this church. Some of the labor came from this church. And uh, last summer, we got it done just at the end of June, and that was filled with kids all summer long. So it's a huge blessing for us when we get a donation like this and, and then the labor to help put it up as well. Uh, we, just in March, we traveled to um, uh, northern Alberta, throughout Alberta, southern BC, Washington, Idaho, Montana with a couple teams, and we did various ministry programs, and my team particularly focused on what is it for Christ to have made the way into the presence of God. And, and so we did a bit of a tabernacle uh, part to that. And one of the services we were in uh, was just a powerful Sunday morning service and I was supposed to, we do a time of worship after because it's this glorious thing where Christ dies on the cross and the curtain veil is torn and, and we have access to the presence of God. And uh, then we have a number of songs like Take Me In and, and, and a number of songs like that and Worthy is the Lamb. And then normally after that I would get up and preach. Well, this just was a move of God and next thing there's a spontaneous message in tongues and interpretation and and it was a call of God to come, and we spent another 10 minutes just seeking God and crying out to God. <laughs> How many know sometimes when God does that, I'm happy to sit back and say, let God do it. I don't have to preach. <laughs> we had a wonderful service there. Uh, through the teams that were out, we got to pray with dozens of people uh, through the course of the tour, and so that was a highlight this last year. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, we did our spring life retreat, or actually youth encounter, Clearwater Youth Encounter. And we usually get around the 200 uh, mark of young people. And we had kids come to Christ. We had some filled with the Holy Spirit. There were a number of students who came and their youth pastors wrote back and said, God did a major breakthrough in this person's life. They were so bound because of this traumatic experience in their childhood 
we knew that God's spirit would move if we brought him to, to, to Clearwater. And so, so it was exciting. That was a wonderful time that we had there. Uh, some other highlights. Uh, we launched Clearwater online two and a half years ago. It's uh, utilizing Zondervan courses and making education available to those who can't come full-time. Since that time, we've had 21 students uh, uh, enroll for more than 30-some courses, and we've got some of those working on full programs, whether it's a certificate or uh, degree as well. So we're excited about that continuing to grow. In 2018, if we include that, well, that's over a course of two and a half years, but we had uh, online courses, resident students and Naga students, we actually taught 52 students. So it's not big, but we really pour into the students on campus. We had 15 this last year. Already for next year, we're sitting at 19, and we're probably going to hit the mid-20s. So we're quite excited about the, the growth in that for next year. Uh, for this past year, I've been teaching Skype classes actually twice each week to Nagaland. Isn't that amazing how technology allows me to teach at 9 o'clock at night, and they're 8.30 in the morning? <laughs> And I teach them for an hour, and we were able to go through general epistles, and that's uh, the message I have this morning. came out of my devotional time as I was preparing for that. So, uh, and then uh, revival continues in Nagaland. Last year when I was here, I told that, because we had just come back from Nagaland in March of last year. Nagaland is in northeast India. I keep forgetting to tell that, because people will wonder, where is Nagaland? It's northeast India. But they're not East Indian in culture. They're more Asian... Burmese fit in that category of culture. And we've had connections there over about 20 years uh, of ministry going back and forth. But four years ago, we started the Bible College. And, uh, and so last, in the fall of 2017, the students were crying out to God and the Holy Spirit fell. One of the staff was healed of a uh, digestive issue that she'd had for, for her life where she couldn't keep certain food down or she'd cramp up or, or whatever. And she got up and she goes, I'm healed. The Holy Spirit fell, she fell on the floor. She got up, she goes, I'm healed. And other students had things happen. And through those students and the impact that they had through what God was doing and the Holy Spirit falling on young people from October of 2017 to uh, March 2018 when we were there, a thousand people, about a thousand people had come to Christ in that city and the surrounding villages through the college. Well, it carries on. So they travel from village to village. We were able to buy a van uh, this last year for them to travel. Uh, we still need about $7,000 to, to pay it off. But if, so if you're interested in helping with that, we, we're open to receive that. Uh, and they tr still continue to travel to villages and share the gospel as they can. Uh, we have, uh, this year will be our first graduating class with a Bachelor of Theology. That's happening in a couple weeks. And we're trying to figure out how to set a time when we can Skype or video conference or something into the, to the, to the event so that we can be there. Um, this is me teaching uh, some of the upper students last year when I was there. And I thought I'd give you a taste of some of their music. Sometimes they do their culture, sometimes they do Western culture. Here was a song that some of the students had put together. I thought you would enjoy it.
Awesome. This uh, young man and this gal, she was the gal that was healed. Uh, and uh, we were able to attend their wedding last year. And so that's very, very awesome. Uh, so you get a, a, a taste of what's happening there. Yeah, just some, you know, God is continuing to do things there, and it's very exciting for us to be part of that. Uh, also, we have partnered with Humanities Promise. They're a ministry that works in Africa, mostly Uganda and Kenya. Uh, they've got some land uh, over there, and they're teaching agriculture. And part of it is there's a lot of unused land, and they're going, this is good for, for crops. And so they, uh, one of the, the founder of this actually had the idea, you know, there's a lot of equipment sitting on farmyards that is outdated and not being used. And they've been able to get this donated and they're refurbishing old tractors that don't have all the computerization and all the stuff. And then once they get enough tractors and enough other goods, they'll fill a sea can and then they ship it over and they're doing uh, training and so on there. So they're using our shop to assemble some of these. So we have various tractors sitting on campus from time to time and then they get put together and uh, so on. We help with some of their storage as well. Uh, Dr. Peter Engel, he's our Dean of Education. Just this last year he published his new book. Uh, it was a theology book called Patterns of Redemption. If you're interested in, in a systematic theology from a spirit-filled perspective, then this is the book that you probably want. One of the highlights of this last year, in January of this year, we signed a progression agreement with Trinity Western University. This is a big thing for us. Now, we have agreements with Canadian Southern Baptist Seminary and with Providence Seminary, and we've had uh, probably a dozen to 15 students go successfully to Briarcrest and uh, a few other schools. But Trinity Western, we're the only one of two non-accredited schools that now have a progression agreement with Trinity Western University. So our students who finish a bachelor's of theology can go directly into their master's of arts in leadership. At this point, that's where it's at. Uh, but in leadership, it can be in nonprofit, Christian ministry, or business. So they have access to those. And you know, Trinity Western is Canada's largest Christian university. So for us to have this privilege, it's an awesome privilege. This is Dr. Phil. <laughs> uh, Dr. Phil Laird. He's different than the television, Dr. Phil, and we had just signed the agreement and people were cheering and clapping and, and so on, so very exciting for us. So I want to say thank you to Living Stones Church, because you may not realize it, but you support us on a monthly basis, and your support is what helps us to do what we do. Some of you also support us privately. And, and I don't always get a chance to personally thank people, but I want to thank you for your part because you share in the fruit of what we're doing. And so thank you very much. I can give you a hand. It won't sound like a big hand, but you can clap your, give yourselves a hand. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Um, just two quick announcements. Uh, one is we have Living Faith Family Camp coming up. Pastor Kevin McClure from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and John and Norma Broughton and their team, they've been together for more than 30 years. They were part of this church for 10 or 11 years or something like that back in the 80s, when they first started here into the 90s. And uh, they'll be leading worship, and we have a wonderful time. Uh, we also have the FCA Family Camp coming up August long weekend. Pastor Brian Swash uh, from Toronto and he is uh, one of the national elders in the FCA. 
and a great fellow, you'll really like him, good sense of humor, and a great preacher as well. And we have Kevin Gerlavich and his team who help with worship there. So that's enough announcements. <laughs> Let's get into the message this morning. This morning I want to talk about the believer's identity and purpose. Now this is a huge topic, and we could take this theme from many, many places in the scripture. But this morning I've chosen uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll be looking at that passage in a little more detail as we go along. But the, the believer's identity and purpose. And I want you to see that being determines doing. A dog barks because it's a dog. A cat meows because it's a cat. It's a, cat. a cow moos because it's a, a, a cow. Birds chirp because they're birds, and little piggies say, not by the hair of your chitty-chin-chin, because they're pigs. <laughs> right? So, so we know that being determines doing. We, we talk because we're human, and, and so on. So, so if it's who you are shapes what you do. The second thing I wanted to put on here is design determines function. A screwdriver was not designed to put in a nail, nor was a hammer designed to put in a screw. Now, I know it can do it and, and rip everything up if you want to do it, but a hammer was designed to put in a, a nail and a screwdriver was designed to put in a screw. So your design determines your function. And I know if you get a chance here, there's a course on spiritual gifts and so on, and that's one of the premises. Find out how God's designed you because how God has shaped you, how he's designed you will determine a lot of what your purpose in life is and how he wants to use you. And so I think that's important. So design determines function. The third thing I want us to note is identity determines purpose. Now there are some important things that determine identity, and I'm not gonna get to that at the end of the message. I had to cut that short at the end this last time. But let me just say this. Your, your identity comes from your primary relationships. And your most important primary relationship is your relationship to God. I, I'm a husband because I have a wife. I'm a son because I have parents. I'm a father because I have children. I'm a grandpa because I have grandkids. But I'm also a son of God. I'm a bride of Christ and branches and so on. So, but it's tied to our relationship and our primary relationship is Christ. And that should form our primary identity. Now, this is important that we know who we are because it helps us to know what we're to do. Knowing who we are as followers of Christ helps us to know what our purpose is. Years ago when I grew up, I used to watch Scooby-Doo. And uh, was one of my, in fact, if you look back at my Bible college pictures and the hair, when I had hair, and the beard, uh, people say, oh, you look like Shaggy on Scooby-Doo. And my wife looked like Velma. <laughs> the big glasses, the, you know, the kind of the intelligent one. <laughs> uh, I should show you a picture of my, our Bible college days. I do carry that around from time to time. But here's the thing that's so brilliant about Scooby-Doo. Take the Scoo off, and it's Be-Doo. Uh, that's profound, isn't it? Be-Doo. In fact, it's Scooby-Dooby-Doo, or whatever he says, right? Take the Scoo off and change it with you. You, Be-Doo, Be-Doo, Be-Doo. In other words, being comes first, then doing. <laughs> 
who you are, what your identity is, is going to determine what you do. And so the Bible actually uses many similes and metaphors, comparisons, to describe who believers are. So, for example, we're sheep. Now, that's because we're, relationally, he's our shepherd. What's the role of us as sheep? To hear his voice and follow him. Well, uh, then we're, we're also the bride of Christ. Why? Because he's my groom. So in that relationship, I'm his bride. What's my role in that relationship? I love and submit. And then not only that, uh, he's the vine, I'm the branches. What's my purpose? I abide in him so I bear fruit, much fruit. We're members of his body. He's the head. And so then I function and I use the gifts and I'm the part of the body that he calls me to be, whether I'm a hand or a foot or an eye or a nostril or whatever. He's the master. I'm his servant. I'm his steward. And what's required of me? To be faithful and to do the master's will. That's out of my relationship with him. So his, my primary relationships with God in whatever the metaphor is determines what I do. Okay? And then, as a child of God, he is my father. And what's the role of all kids? His seed abides in us. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called the children of God, and such we are. But it hasn't appeared what we will be, but when we have our hope fixed on him, we purify ourselves as he is pure. John goes on to say, we have his seed abiding in us. We're going to be like him. We're going to love like he loves. We're going to be righteous like he is righteous. And as you grow, you're going to be like your dad. You mature in your faith. And then as a soldier, your goal is to please the commander. So these are some metaphors. I'm not going to, we've quickly gone through those, but uh, when I was going through First Peter, I discovered, oh, I was sitting there, I'm using a new app where I can highlight and underline, and it's really awesome on my iPad, fluorescent colors. <laughs> and, and I'm able to look at the scripture in a new way sometimes. And I'm going, oh, oh, and this is what came from that. We're going to look at some similes and metaphors, but I just want to remind you what they are. A simile means similar. It usually words, uses words like like or as, as a comparison. And so it compares something to something else. A metaphor, on the other hand, is also a comparison, but it doesn't use like or as. It comes from two words, meta, which means after or across, and pharaoh, which means to carry. We get words like pheromones, which is a mix of pharaoh and hormones. And that animals and insects have hormonal smells and odors and whatever that they carry and communicate and convey to someone else. But it means to carry over. So a figure of speech that directly describes a person or action in a way that isn't literally true. So here's, how, here's some ways the Bible uses both of these. So, okay, both of these actually are used for comparison purposes or to make something vivid and really emphatic and clear in terms of the description. And so we might, here's a, a, a simile. You're as skinny as a rail. So that's really emphasizing you're really skinny. When I was younger, I used to hear these comments all the time. You're so skinny, your pajamas only have two stripes. And you're so skinny, you have to run around in the shower to get wet. And you're so skinny, you could tread water in a garden hose. And I heard them all. That's not true of me anymore. I'm trying to move that way a little bit as I age here, but that's not true of me now. 
Um, I would just say to people, you're so short you could play handball against the curb. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, a metaphor, and this guy says, and you're a mountain. Now, he's not really a mountain, but he's as big as a mountain, kind of, right? So you get the idea of what a simile and a metaphor is. So Bible similes, the kingdom of heaven is like, it's like a mustard seed, or it's like leaven, or it's like a treasure hidden in a field. You're going to come across these all the time. That's how Jesus taught. He taught in similes and metaphors, and the Bible writers did that as well. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Three metaphors that Jesus uses for us to understand what he's teaching. Or we have passages like this. Like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. So Paul's talking about, I'm like this wise master builder. He, we know he was a tent maker. He wasn't a builder of buildings. But he's comparing himself that he's a wise master builder building the church of God. And then my metaphors. I am the vine, you are the branches. And we know Jesus is not a physical vine. And I don't see anyone here sprouting leaves. <laughs> or grapes, Right? But we understand the metaphor. Or, I am the door. Now, we know Jesus is not a six, eight, three-foot-wide, two-inch-thick slab of wood. But he's the way to God. He's the access to the Father. And that's actually a beautiful picture because the shepherd used to lay across the entrance into the sheepfold. And you'd have to go through the shepherd to get in. Uh, You are just a vapor that appears for a while. Boy, you're just so, I can hardly see you. You're so, no. This is saying our life is short. We understand that. Or these false teachers, they were without, springs without water and misdriven by a storm. So as you understand language, it helps you to understand the Bible. And when I was studying 1 Peter, there was a number of things that I saw. And I realized there are four identity and purpose descriptions of the believer here. And I was just going, oh, as this, like this. <laughs> And, ah, I wonder what we're supposed to do. So we're going to look at that. And so 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 14, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, here's the, here's the, here's the simile, like newborn babes, here's the purpose, long for the pure milk of the word, so that you, by it you may grow in respect to salvation. And so what we have here is is Peter is saying, put aside these things. Instead of doing this, you need to be hungry for God's word. So he says, put aside malice, which is an intention to do evil or to take revenge. (laughs) It's this hostility or bitterness towards someone else. Deceit, so you lay aside lying and pretense and misrepresenting the truth and, and misleading other people. You lay aside hypocrisy, which is a false appearance of virtue or goodness. I, I'm pretending to be someone I'm not. And, that, and you're really concealing your true character behind it. You lay aside envy, which is, is really resentment when you see the, the good fortune of someone else and you envy them. And you lay aside slander. And that makes, that's making false statements that damage the reputation of another person. So he's saying, put these things aside. But this is what you need to be like. You need to be like newborn babes. Now, I know there's other passages that talk about the milk of the word is for the immature. And solid meat is for the mature. Peter's not using it that way. He's calling all believers 
Put this aside, and you need to have hunger for God's word like a baby does. This needs to define who you are. You're a baby, you need to hunger for God's word. Now, when I was a father, and now I'm a grandfather, we have three granddaughters. Yeah, and we have a fourth grandchild coming. Don't know what it is. (laughs) But I I know one thing. Babies, when they're hungry, they let you know. And they love eating. They love mother's milk. And they're hungry. And now that they're being spoon-fed and so on, it's so fun to watch them as they're going for the spoon and they want to grab the spoon and, and whatever. But this is what God is saying. I want you to be like babies who hunger for my word in the same way. You know, Job said uh, God's word was more necessary to him than his daily food. Jeremiah said, I did eat your word and it was the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And why are we to hunger for it? So that you may grow in respect to salvation. I don't care where you're at. If you're a a, a new believer, if you're a mature believer, you still need to grow in respect to your salvation. I still need to eat as an adult. Now, I don't want to grow physically much anymore. (laughs) But I want to be alive, and I want to be healthy, and I want to tell you, you will not fulfill God's purpose for your life if you're not in his word. Sunday morning, important, yes, but if you only ate once a week, how healthy would you be? You need to be daily feeding on the word of God. It's your manna day by day. It's more important than your food. And you need to to say, God, give me a hunger. Have me just to have this like a child. I'm so hungry for your word. God, give it to me. And that's the first metaphor, so that you may grow in respect to your salvation. And the reason is, if you've tasted or since, actually the word if there is since, you have tasted the kindness of God. If you've tasted God's kindness here, get a hunger for his word. Amen? Amen? This brings us to the second metaphor. The second metaphor is this. And coming to him as to a living stone. Now here's, here's actually uh, a simile uh, for Jesus. He's a living stone. We're coming to him as a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. Peter's going to bring this up again, and he's going to talk about those who receive him, it's precious. Those who don't and reject it, he, they stumble over him. We're not going to spend a lot of time on that. But here's the metaphor. You also as living stones. See, he's the cornerstone. We sang the song. And you also, as living stones, you're being built because of your relationship with him. You're being built, what? Up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. So here's the purpose. You're being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Why? Why are you, why is, here's the name of your church, Livingstone's Church. Here's the passage that it comes from. Why? To offer, oh, my underline crossed off the, it sounds like otter, it looks like otter there, but to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Here's it. God is wanting you 
as living stones to be a place for his presence, to be a place where worship is provided to him, a place where he as God is glorified in your midst. And those, your sacrifice, your offering that's offered up is acceptable through Jesus Christ. It's only because of the blood of the lamb that, that any of the other sacrifices were acceptable. It was the blood that paid the price and made right of access. We have right to pray because Jesus made a way for us. We have, we have right to, to do the very sacrifices because of the blood of Christ. But it says that we offer up these spiritual sacrifices. This is what you're hearing. Well, what are spiritual sacrifices? What does that mean? Sounds nice. It's really ethereal. Well, I did a study through the New Testament, and I thought, well, what are the sacrifices that we're to offer in the New Testament? And I found... Seven of them. First one is your bodies. Romans 12.1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, how kind he's been to you. What do you do? You, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Your body belongs to God. First Corinthians tells us that. You've been bought with a price, you're not your own. Therefore glorify God in your body which is the Lord's. Your body can be used to bring glory to God or it can be used for sinful purposes. Romans 6 tells us, no longer present the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present them to God as instruments of righteousness. And so as we present our bodies to do the things that please him, to not sin... In fact, this passage goes on to say, and do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Even your mind is being renewed so that you might prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so as you give your body to him and you use it for his purposes, to in holiness, in service, in worship, that is your true and proper worship. Second thing is service for others. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 2, 17. Be, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. A, a drink offering or a libation was poured on some of the sacrifices. So Paul is saying, I myself am being poured out for you. He was giving his life to spread the gospel. In fact, he's in prison while he's writing this. <laughs> And, and he's giving his life, but he's also saying, on the sacrifice and service of your faith. And so as you, and some of their sacrifice that they were experiencing was suffering and persecution. And Paul was giving his life for them. As you give your life in service, as you give your life, as you're faithful to God in times of suffering, whatever that course, whatever that might be, you are worshiping God. Because you're giving, you're serving it. Whatever you've done to the least of these, Jesus said, you've done it to me. A cup of cold water, visiting someone who's sick, uh, clothing the naked. As you've done it to them, you've done it to me. Your service to others is a service to Christ. As you do it in the name of Christ. Amen? A third thing, financial charity. Philippians says this. 
For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied. Now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. Do you know when you give money, you know, you can say, well, I'm going to give my money to God. How do you get it from here to heaven? (laughs) He doesn't need it. His streets are paved with gold, and he just creates more when he needs it. What does it mean to give to him? How do you give your gifts? It's when you give it for his cause, for the furtherance of the gospel, to support his ministry, to support workers that are worthy of his hire. And that's what happened in the Old Testament. And as you give that gift to people in need, gifts of uh, charity, alms, and whatever, Paul had financial need as he was traveling, and people supported him. He says, you know what? That was an offering to God, and it smelled really good to him. The aroma came to heaven, and he was blessed with it, and he says, uh, it was pleasing to God. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your giving. And then he says, and my God will supply all your needs (laughs) according to his riches and glory. That's one of the ways you can worship. One of the ways is through giving. Another is praise, Hebrews 13, 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks. When you come and you worship God, when you say, man, praise God, he's so good. When you tell others, that's... That's an act of praise. It exalts him. And we do it not just when we feel like it. If you only worship when you feel like it, you're worshiping for your pleasure. How many know he's worthy of worship whether you feel like it or not? Always. He's worthy. I love my wife more than my feelings. I'm committed to her. I love her and, and so on. There's times I don't feel it. I love God more than my feelings. Because love is deeper than a feeling. Love is a commitment to the well-being and the good of another. And for God, it's God, you're worthy. I'm just going to give you the praise you deserve. (laughs) And whether it's joyful or whether it's out of choice, it's it's a sacrifice of praise because it's, it's glorifying to him. Okay. Now, another one. Oh, excuse me. Doing good and sharing. Same passage. I have to move on here. Through Jesus Christ, therefore, let us continually offer the sacrifice. Praise verse 16. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. As you do good works, as you give of yourself, as you do those things unto him, that's a pleasing sacrifice to him. Prayer. Revelation compares our prayer as incense. In fact, it says, it talks about the angels (laughs) Uh, the four living creatures, they each had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. One of the offerings the priests would do is they'd go in before the altar of incense and they would offer incense on the altar on coals that were cleansed by blood from the sacrifice altar. So our prayers only go because we have a mediator between God and man, that's Jesus Christ. But those prayers are collected in bowls. And we find out in Revelation that the angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar. 
And the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel takes the censer, he fills it with fire from the altar, and it comes down to, to earth in peals of thunder and rumblings and flashings. This is how your prayers get answered. And this is showing God's going to answer the prayers of the, the saints who've been crying out for deliverance. And he's going to send judgment. But your prayers. And then finally, uh, a psalmist said, may my prayer be set before you like incense, may the lifting of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. Another one is martyrdom. Giving your life. Revelation uh, chapter 6 verse 9 says this, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. Where are the souls? Under the altar. This is here the altar of sacrifice. This is based on the Old Testament. Because in Leviticus, the priests would come and they would put some blood on the altar of incense on the horns of the altar. But if there was a bull sacrifice, then the rest of that blood was taken and it was poured under the altar of sacrifice. And so those who are giving their lives for Christ's sake, God, here's my life. It's a sacrifice to you. It's a worship to him. So these are some of the sacrifices that were called in the New Testament. And then it goes on to those who reject or receive the stone. We're not going to talk about that. And I want to cover two more really quickly here as we wrap up. But you are, here's identity, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Here's who you are. Amen. This is who you are. For what purpose? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why? Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You have an awesome God to praise and to proclaim his excellencies. Amen. You are, look at what you are, a chosen race. God chose you to be his people. That's amazing, for himself. You are a royal priesthood. What do the priests do? They're priests unto God. They're his priests. You are a holy nation. What does holy mean? It means to be set apart. You're a nation of people set apart to God. And you're a people of God's own possession. You belong to him. And what's your role of being God's people? To proclaim his excellencies. <laughs> Through your lives, to people around you. You know what? I serve an awesome God once I had not received mercy, but now I've received mercy. I used to be in the kingdom of darkness. Now I'm in the kingdom of light. And I begin to declare he's an amazing God. You know, he's faithful. He loves me. He's kind. He forgives. He, not only his attributes, but his actions. He forgives and he heals and he delivers. He set me free. He's my counselor, my comforter, my provider. He's awesome. Here's his excellencies. And your role as God's people is to declare, proclaim his excellencies. Amen? And here's the last one. Is this. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers. Here's your identity. Aliens and strangers. What's your purpose? To abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep yourself, your behavior excellent. 
among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. This is a powerful passage. As aliens, usually this is what comes to mind. <laughs> aliens. Now, I put E.T. on here because there at least is some truth to this. Not, not that you're some space creature. But remember, E.T., please phone home. He wants to go home. This wasn't his home. This isn't your home. In fact, that's what these words mean. You'll see them used multiple times. Different uh, translations translate them sojourners and exiles, foreigners and exiles, sojourners and pilgrims, temporary residents and foreigners. Do you realize that in a sense, you are refugees? This is not your home. You live here, you occupy till you come, you glorify God here, but this is not your home. In fact, numerous passages talk about that. For our citizenship is in heaven, or Hebrews. They were strangers and exiles on the earth. They are seeking a country of their own. They desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You have a city whose builder and maker is God. And you are aliens and strangers while you're here. That means you're in this world, but you're not of this world. Therefore, you don't live like this world. It says, what are you to do as aliens and strangers? To abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against your soul. I want to tell you today, there is a war on the souls of men and women and young people, and it's fleshly lusts. It's available all over the internet. It's available on television. It's available on people's phones. And it's not just sexual immorality. It's being promoted in our schools and our education system. And the world is saying, this is okay. And we're saying, no, that's not what we're like up home. God is our God, and he's holy, and we're to be holy as he is holy. And there are addictions and all sorts of things that people get trapped into. And he says, stay away from them because they're going to wage war against your soul. And keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Why? So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers. How many know we're being slandered as evildoers for the cause of Christ? That which is good is all of a sudden bad. But as you live a godly life, as you let your light shine, they will observe, it says this, that they may, because of your good deeds and observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. In other words, you're going to see your consistent life, and they're going to come to Christ, and when God comes to visit judgment, they're going to glorify God because you were faithful enough to live the message before them. And that's God's call to you. God's call to you as aliens and strangers in this life. In fact, uh, Grun Grunman says, Christians are presented as men who have no country of their own on this earth. They are simply temporary residents. For this reason, they are not to allow themselves to be shaped by the things which largely determine life on this earth. We're different. <laughs> Amen? Peter, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. 
You're not here forever. While you're here, conduct yourself in fear. We already looked at 2.11 verse 4. So as to live the rest of the time, or chapter 4, so as there is the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. You are strangers in this life, and God's purpose for you is that you would live for his will, not for your lusts. And this is so, let's just review this and then we'll wrap up. You're newborn babes. That means God, that's God's your father. As newborn babes, hunger for his word, long for his word. You are living stones. You're being built into a house to offer praises to God. Offer up those spiritual sacrifices. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's people. You belong to him so you can proclaim his excellencies. He's amazing. And you are aliens and strangers so that you can, in this world, you abstain from the fleshly lusts of this world and you keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Your purpose flows out of who you are. Know who you are and God will equip you and enable you to do what you need to do. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, as we come to the close of this service, I'm just going to ask if God has spoken to you in some way, shape, or form, I'm not going to have an altar response or even a show of hands. But I believe the Holy Spirit has taken one part of this and he's challenged something in your life. Maybe you need, maybe you're not regular in the Word of God. Maybe you're weak and anemic because you're not feeding Maybe God's spoken to you about that, to hunger for his word. Maybe you're here and God has challenged you that you need to give your body a living, as a living sacrifice. Or you need to offer praise more and, and so on. Maybe it's prayers. Maybe it's money. I don't know how God has challenged you in terms of worship, but maybe God has spoken to you about that. Maybe you're here and you realize that you're God's people. He's done amazing things for you, and you need to just declare it. <laughs> tell someone, tell your neighbor, tell your family, God is good. And maybe God's spoken to you about you're not of this world, you're an alien, and you need to watch out for your lifestyle. Father, I pray that is, you've spoken to each one, that you will draw them to be and do what you've called them to be and do. Fulfill your purpose in and through them as they come to know who they are in you. And Lord, that's based on their relationship with you, the most defining relationship in this world. You're our Father. You're our God. Wow. You're our cornerstone. You're the one who's redeemed us out of this kingdom of darkness so that we can actually live as sons of light. And God, we pray that you will enable by your spirit each one to follow you this week and for the rest of their lives. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you'd like prayer, we'd be happy to pray with you, but we do dismiss you now in Jesus' name. God bless you all.